This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Can you believe it's our penultimate pod of 2021? When we started the season, the pod team was full of youthful enthusiasm and had long flowing locks, sort of. Now, well, Steve Glenn and I certainly look and feel weathered after yet another rollercoaster year following Saints, thankfully Dan has barely aged at all. Anyway, what can we promise you on this week's episode? A lot, that's what. There'll be reflections on a great win over Crystal Palace, 100 senior goals for Danny Ings, penalty saves, and in less than surprising news, more St Mary's tears for Wilfred Zaha. Hashtag in Prousey's pocket. There'll also be reaction to the 3-1 win over Fulham, including a first senior goal and big smiles from a very talented 21-year-old. If that isn't enough, we'll discuss Ryan Bertrand's impending exit, preview Leeds United's visit to St Mary's next weekend, and celebrate the return of people who matter most in football, us fans. Lastly, yep, there's more. We'll look ahead to Saints' final Premier League match of the season, away to the Happy Hammers of West Ham next Sunday. Crikey, I'm worn out just thinking about all that, Steve. Uh, I need a breather, absolutely. But uh, how's things with you? Are you back in the UK now? Are you another part of Europe? Or yeah, what? I'm, yeah, I'm doing my uh, doing my 10 days at home, um, which I'm hoping is going to be five uh, by close of play tomorrow with test release and all that all that nonsense then i can get down for the game on tuesday excellent excellent and dan a memorable day coming up for all saints fans and the club this coming wednesday the 19th of may as it will be uh, 20 years to the day since that incredible last ever competitive game at our beloved dale matty's beautiful strike bringing the curtain down in style just as the dale deserved and alongside your routinely fantastic work dan rumor has it that uh, the athletic will have a, a dan sheldon engineered piece to celebrate the 20th anniversary yeah, hope, hopefully so. If it all goes to plan, got two more people to to speak to for yeah, what's kind of a, a piece that 
looks at but basically 20 years of why why that decision was made like the Dell looking at the Dell as a stadium why St Mary's why it ended up on the the old gasworks site and yeah spoke to a few interesting people including yourself so (laughs) yeah a few uninteresting people yeah (laughs) no it's gonna be it's one of those ones where did you you have another call with Rupert Lowe (laughs) no I didn't actually no I didn't (laughs) no I uh Went, got someone else, so I didn't have to go to Rupert. But I must say, for the record, Rupert was very helpful for one of the pieces I did uh, last year. So good. It's always nice to be uh, nice to Rupert, isn't it? So uh, there we go. Uh, well, those of us who subscribe to the Athletic look forward to reading that during the week, Dan. And uh, just finishing on the Dell, Glenn. I mean, what a place it was. I, I still miss it. I think for sure, and uh, I'm sure every Saints fan does. Uh, I was lucky enough to be one of the 15,252 that day. Uh, a great way to sign off from that old uh, iconic stadium. Yeah, it was. It's funny because, I mean, I didn't realise it was 20 years, actually, but I've actually been getting quite quite nostalgic about it recently for some reason. I'm looking at old pictures and stuff like that. Um, be interested in seeing uh, Dan trawling his memory banks back to when he was about five. <laughs> <laughs> When he was about five. When, oh, uh, I would have been six. Five or six, okay. Extra year um, of yeah, I mean, I, I worked at British Gas, funnily enough, um, around that around that time. So uh, yeah, we did kind of know it was happening. So uh, it's an interesting old story. Um, sometimes when I'm when I'm not very happy about the state of football and the way it's going, I kind of wish we were still playing there. I must admit, I'd have, I'd have quite happily dealt with uh, being a sort of mid-table Championship side. I think sometimes sometimes the Premier League just uh, just gets me down. Um, never more never more so with the recent. You know, European Super League rubbish. I do miss how things were, I have to say. So, uh, yeah, it'll be. I I look forward to the piece, and uh, I'm sure there's uh, there's some things about the you know how it all came about that that I don't know. I mean, I know it was uh, originally supposed to be out Eastleigh Way, and there was various political reasons why it didn't happen, and then uh, and then the the gasworks site kind of fell into the club's lap. So, uh, I'm not surprised Rupert likes talking about it because it's the it's the only sort of positive that most people have got of his um of his time at. Uh, you know, time at Saints, but uh, yeah, there you go. I look forward to that. Exactly. I don't want to pee Rupert off again this season, so let's quickly move on from him. But uh, yeah, you're right. It was Stoneham, wasn't it? Because I remember doing a GCSE uh, geography project on the, the relocation of Southampton Football Club to Stoneham, I think was the title, something like that. But uh, there you go. If any of you are interested in reliving some Dow memories, and I'm sure there's going to be a lots around this week, and maybe learning one or two things you didn't know as well, why not give a listen to a previous TSP episode, TSP 116, where Glenn, Will, myself and Russell from Historic Southampton chatted our way through over 100 years of the Dow stories and moments. It's a great listen if i do say so myself okay before we get going this week a shout out to our newest tsp patron rob reed rob thank you so much for joining our global clan of patrons we really appreciate your support and patrons just to add while our goal of the season vote is now closed answer to be revealed in our final pod of the season the tsp patron player of the season vote has now opened no rest for you guys it's open until next friday evening which will be the uh, 21st i think it is in may just go to patreon.com slash total saints podcast to cast your vote also just finally i'd like to congratulate european tour pro and saints fan richard bland on his win at the british masters golf over the weekend his first european tour victory in 478 appearances i had the delight of speaking to richard in tsp 59 where as he prepared for life on the challenge tour then spoke about his desire and commitment to one day reach the top again job done blandy well done okay let's get going this is tsp 161 
This is the Total Saints Podcast with Ben Stanfield, Steve Grant, Glenn Dillacore, and the Athletics' Dan Sheldon. Buoyed by the return of Danny Ings, Saints returned to St Mary's last week with a 3-1 win over Crystal Palace. Dan, I wasn't going to do a blow-by-blow given it was a while ago now. We've obviously got the Fulham game to speak about as well. But a really good victory in the end with some lovely Saints goals to boot. Yeah, I'm glad you're not doing a blow-by-blow because I, I don't remember too much from the game, <laughs> if I'm being honest. It's, it seems like ages ago now. But the yeah, the, the standout, I'm just going to pick the standout moment, was the um, the Ings goal with the... the the Redmond cross and that touch and just that finish, it was just so good. It, it's the, you know, we'd spoken a lot about Danny Ings on, on this podcast and, and what he brings to the team. And from w- watching that, that game, I didn't actually think he did that much apart from score those two goals, but it doesn't matter because he scored the two goals and there's no one else in that team that can do that. I mean, if Shea Adams doesn't do anything during a game, he doesn't tend to score. Whereas with Ings, you've always got that chance that, you know, if he gets a ball inside the box, you've got, you know, there's a, a, a high possibility that it's going to go, going to go into the back of the net. So, but it was good for, good for the club to, you know, get back to winning ways after what's been a difficult, difficult period and to do it at St. Mary's and then follow that up with another win. It was good and it's the momentum that they're going to need that you hope they can kind of build on. It's going to be difficult the final two games, but West Ham season looks to have kind of died a quick death with results this weekend so we'll um we'll see what the next two games bring but yeah the palace was um palace was a good one and it set them up to go into that fulham game which i'm sure we'll get on to yeah and glenn as uh, dan mentioned danny's obviously scoring two of those goals the first one out of almost nothing the second uh, a typical accurate finish from uh, netley abbey's finest big up to all those listening netley which is uh, probably just my mum and dad to be honest but uh, anyway danny's first goal against palace was his hundred senior goal glenn so a record he can and should be very proud of yeah, absolutely. Um, I was, I'm sure there were times during the dark days when he was uh, uh, doing his rehab, when he did his knee, that um, he, you know, he wondered if he'd, uh, you know, get anywhere near that number. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's a good thing for him to look back on, and hopefully he looks back on it and thinks that he uh, he wouldn't have achieved that without moving to Southampton because if he'd stayed at Liverpool, he wouldn't have played enough games to have uh, scored 100 goals. So uh, yeah, hopefully he. Uh, puts that as a little tick in the box when uh, when it comes to uh, choosing what he does next. So, um, yeah, I mean, what I liked about the first goal was was the fact that the, the cross that came into him was not the best and he turned what was an average cross into a goal, you know, just with a really good first touch and then just did what he had to do to put it in the net. You know, he didn't try and break the net. It was just like, I know where the goal is. I'm just going to put it in the corner of the goal. I don't I don't have to hit it hard. I just know exactly what I've got to do. Um, and he didn't look at the goal once. He just knew exactly where it was. Similar to the goal, you know, the lob he did against Liverpool, where he didn't look at the goal. He just knew where it was. And just, I think it was something Matt Letizier always used to say, you know, the goal doesn't move. I know where the goal is. I've played here enough times. And and that's, you know, that that was great. And the, you know, the second goal was, was just a really good finish. And that, that was a really good team move. I like goals like that where the, the finish is, is economical, but it's gone through four or five players. And, um, yeah, that, that was great. So, uh, and I think he, um, he just illustrated to everybody that, um, oh, we really need him to stay. <laughs> uh, even if he doesn't sign a contract, you know, we, we, I don't see why we'd sell him for a low figure. 
I'd rather keep him for the for the final year. But I mean, we've we've done this one to death. We'll just have to wait yeah. and see what happens. Agreed. Two shots, two on target, two goals. It's uh, not many Saint strikers that do that in a game, are there? But uh, yeah, and after my analysis, long-winded it was, uh, re Alex McCarthy a few weeks ago, Steve. A rare Saints penalty saved by us as well. Um, well done to big phrase on that. Um, I suppose the question I was going to ask, Steve, a very crucial time in the match, wasn't it? You know, just before half time, it gave Saints a bit of positive momentum for the second half. So, obvious question, maybe, do you think that was the key turning point of the match? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, we we got back into the game relatively quickly. I thought we were certainly sort of putting pressure on straight after uh, Ben Teke was somehow allowed to juggle the ball in our penalty area despite having seven seven defenders around him. Um, we were just all absolutely terrified of him, which is mad. But yeah, I mean, we were we were we were decent for for most of that game. I thought. I mean, Palace came to play. Um, they were um, they were more adventurous than they've been for a lot of, for a lot of this season. I mean, similar situation to us in that they were mathematically safe, so kind of pressure's off. No need to no need to be kind of dull and dour. And we've we've seen today where they've gone and stuck three past um, past Villa. That when when they want to play, they can do, and they can they can be a very um, very entertaining attacking side. Um, so yeah, it was it was it was a good game, and we we certainly played our part. Yeah, ter- turning point was def- definitely the penalty save because we were on top. We were on top. Give away a dopey penalty. I mean, it's one of those where it's both a foul and a ridiculous dive. And yeah, I mean, I <laughs> what can you say? I mean, Zaha is Zaha, isn't he? And and he will do what do what he'll do. Um, I've got no particular issue with with the decision because if you give the ref the decision to make, then you're kind of asking for trouble. But um, I mean, it was good to see good to see Milivojevic is at least consistent with his penalties. <laughs> I mean, I mean that, that, that graphic that Sky Sky put up just before he um, stepped up to take it is like, hang on, every single one of these has been the same side. Surely we've researched this. Yeah. Um, and given that neither Fraser. Fraser Forster nor Alex McCarthy look, ever look as if they're likely to save a penalty. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they they were basically given the um, given the exam paper the day before, weren't they? Yeah. And they, <laughs> McCarthy would have gone the other way. Well, that, that's what <laughs> yeah. I was going to say. I thought Saints would have. You know, his, his last twelve penalties have gone that way, so we'll dive the other way because he's probably going to go for the other side. So I was quite surprised <laughs> yeah, when we actually saved it. Yeah. But um, no, I mean, and it was, and he also put it at a nice height for him as well. Um, which was which was a double bonus, but I mean you still got to make the save. You still got to keep his foot on the line, which was tight. Um, Shea Adams had to keep his foot in uh, outside the area, which yeah. was also very tight. <laughs> and that that was actually what the what VAR was checking. It wasn't Forster's foot, wasn't it? Yeah, that's that, right. That, yeah, uh, Forster's foot was in the end was probably fairly comfortably on the line. Yeah. But, um, that would have been so us, they, wouldn't it, for the keeper to save a penalty and then someone be encroaching. Well, yeah, but it was it was only because Adams was the guy that that subsequently cleared it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the only reason they looked at him. Yeah. Um, but the rule because I think the rule changed start of last season, whereby penalty encroachment they only deal with where with the foot position. So the fact that ever the fact that Adams was leaning in into the penalty area didn't matter. Two years ago, if we'd had, if we'd had VAR, that would have been overturned. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, I mean, second half to be honest, we were we were by far the better better side. Got the early goal, which helped, and we were then able to kind of sit in and wait for them to uh, give us present us the ball just in front of our back four and and hit them on the break a few times. So I guess the only disappointment was that we didn't didn't get um, get two or three more on the break because we got ourselves in good positions. I thought. Yeah. Just finally on the Palace game then, Glenn, for about the fifth time in uh, five visits, uh, a rattle Wilfred Zaha at the end as well, which was uh, just sort of the icing on the cake really, wasn't it? Glorious. It, 
He's pathetic, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> just, just you think he's, you know, he's, you think he's got to grow up at some point, but you know, not many people grow up between the ages of 28 and 29 today. So, <laughs> you know, from last season to this season, it, it's, it's, it's no different. It's pathetic. It, what, what amazes me is that it's not just him. It's they're so rattled by Ward Prowse that the whole team. I mean. Kiate, who is apparently really calm and collected most of the time, totally lost his rag over nothing much. Um, so, you know, Zaha's obviously got that into the head. as well. Yeah, I know it was, but Zaha's obviously got into the head of all the Palace players and all the fan base. Um, and it's just, it's just ridiculous. And I love Prowse's reaction. It's just laughing at him because what else can you do when, you know, when someone's, when someone's being that hilarious, what else can you do but laugh at them? And, uh, yeah, I, it's it, it's strange. I, I don't know. If, I don't know if Wolf Sahara is, cap, is uh, capable of um, sort of self-reflection, but I think he's going he's going to look back in his career one day and think, "My God, what what was I doing there?" You know, this 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 is embarrassing. But yeah, yeah. it's remarkable how triggered the whole club and fan base are mm. by a player who everyone else I would imagine thinks is pretty innocuous. Um, but the, they have a, they have a massive problem with it, and uh, I'm sure if he's still at Palace, which he probably will be, because they'll put 40 million price tag on his head or something. Um, I'm sure he'll do the same next year. So Indeed. bring it on. Indeed. All right. Well, moving on to the Fulham game then, Dan. Last week you promised Fulham would turn up relegated with their tails between their legs. Saints would turn it on and win. You promised. Saints delivered. That's it. Um, now I'll pick your lottery numbers like if you want next week. It was uh, it was a really good, really good win. I think I, it was one of those games where. Watching it, you could just see why Fulham are going down. They were so blunt in attack, just a really poor side. I, I thought the goal they did score was actually a really nice finish, but aside from that, they were just lacking everywhere else. But from a Southampton perspective, it was it was a really good win. It was they were creative, they were energetic. I I really like the the hybrid back three he's got going on. You can see what he's doing already in attack with the chances they're creating. Shea Adams, good for him to score. Prousey was superb. Um, I thought really good just a, an all-round good performance and there haven't been too many of them in, in recent months so to be there for, for one was really good of course you have to bear in mind again yes it was Fulham etc etc but I just thought they looked they reminded me of watching Southampton in Project Restart where they were just good and they were just on it from the first minute and you know we saw when Danny Ings came off and he was invisibly frustrated I thought that's good I mean, I was, I was happy to see that. He sat down, slammed his seat. You know, that's good. That's a striker that wants to, to prove himself in these final few games to get into the Euros. I, you know, there's nothing more in it than that. And Salisu was good again. Jack Stevens was playing on the right this time. Thought he did good. It was just a, yeah, there were so many positives that I took from that game and none more so than six, six or seven weeks ago, Rav told me on one of his post-match press conferences that when he makes substitutes, they make the team worse. And that, I thought, at the time was a damning assessment. I still think it's a damning assessment today. But for Walcott and Teller to both come on and both contribute was just was just superb. And I think, for Teller's sake, I, I don't know what, what more he's got to do now to start. Because I, I was watching that game, and I'm watching Minamino. And with all respect to Minamino, I mean, I'm not a professional footballer. But I just don't understand now what, what he is doing that Nathan Teller isn't doing better. And I know that there's a clause of some sort where you know the more often Minamino plays the cheaper the the fee is or whatever but at some point you have to realize and think oh, okay well we'll pay the extra few quid and develop our own player because you could just see that that the difference when Teller came on and he was just class he was class and I think he's got to start the next game 
I mean, he's got to. I think you could either take out Redmond or Minamino, but I'd personally just take out Minamino now. Mm. You know, mm. Southampton are safe. There's no need to keep on developing Liverpool's player unless you're going to sign him permanently. And everything I've heard suggests they're not going to be trying to do that. So God, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, yeah. maybe we take take the piss a little bit by starting Minamino and subbing him off after two, after two minutes. <laughs> so yeah, so that's towards then he's the appearance. Still get, still, yeah, yeah, he's still getting a start. <laughs> I know. Well, we'll come on to talk about uh, Teller in a minute, Steve. But uh, yeah, it's always easy for I think all of us, isn't it, to say it's only Fulham or they're relegated, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I agree with Dan. I thought there was lots of individual quality, and more importantly, there was lots of team workmanship. You know, Saints chasing around and really putting the effort in, and it was a fully deserved win. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean they. I mean, as as we said, you kind of have to have to kind of put every every performance and every result into context. But quite often, teams that have just been relegated suddenly feel themselves freed from the shackles of the of the pressure and come out and suddenly show what they what they couldn't do um, when it actually mattered. And I think Fulham showed basically what they've done all season in that they've been quite bright in possession, but basically completely toothless up front I mean, the, the lad the young lad uh carvalho who scored the goal was was lively but the goal the goal was a mistake position a positional mistake where stevens has, has somehow let himself get dragged probably about 10 yards out of position and vestergaard compounds it by slipping so then he's got he's got the free run in in on goal but i mean to be fair the lad you still got to finish it and so I mean, no goalkeeper's saving that where he's uh where he's put the where he's put it but yeah we were we were bright we were putting the ball in um in between the lines a lot which i think is all, always a, always a sign when we're on our game when uh both vestergaard and stevens were playing those passes into the in between between fulham's players to war prowse and and armstrong where the pair of them then had about 30 yards of space to turn and and run and do what do what the hell they liked with it i mean given that there was a lot of talk at the start of the season where, oh, we're going to we're going to regret having sold Harry Reid to to Fulham. I mean, he was terrible for a lad coming coming back for the first time and probably quite eager to show what we'd missed. Yeah, I don't think we've missed a lot there, um, to be honest, mate. It's he, he was he was not good, which which obviously helped us. Um, Lamina wasn't around because uh, he's only on loan, of course, so we didn't didn't get to witness that spectacle i mean it'd be interesting genuinely be interesting to see what happens with him in the summer so i think actually of, of the two he's he's probably been the better uh, for fulham this season but i think part of that comes from their change of position i, I was having a, having a chat with um chat with um, some of the guys in in dubai um on whatsapp earlier today and one of them was saying oh um we've been linked with uh, loftus cheek um i wouldn't want that he's massively overpaid overrated he's he's rubbish it's like, well, I mean, he's not been great. And he basically presented me a forum post from a Fulham fan site where they basically just slag him off. It's like, well, yeah, OK, he's not been great for Fulham, but Fulham are rubbish. And you can only do so much as an individual, especially if I mean, bear in mind that their system at the start of the season was geared up basically specifically for him. And then they went and signed 10 players and um and the system changed and it all, all of a sudden wasn't suited to him. And he, he dropped out of the team and kind of has disappeared a little bit. I mean, this is a guy that was playing regularly for England two years ago. So he's no, he's no mug. And I think we, I think, I mean, if we are looking at someone like him as a, as a loan deal with us, probably similar sort of terms to what we've had Walcott on in the 
Chelsea will pay half his wages and and we get the player for the for the season. If if that's if that's a viable deal, then I think I think that's the that's exactly the sort of player we should be looking for personally. It'll be interesting to see what happens, won't it? But uh, yeah, chewing over a, a couple of the key contributors in the win, then Glenn, which means it won't include Takuni Minamino, who you rated three, or Nathan Redmond, who you rated one. Um, <laughs> no comment. <laughs> um, Shea Adams scored his ninth goal of the season in the Premier League, making him the highest Scottish scorer in the season since Stephen Fletcher in 2012-13 with 11. How do you think Shea will reflect on his season when the dust settles in a couple of weeks, Glenn? Lots of improvements. Um. He's he's been better. He's been more consistent over the season. He he still has some games. I mean, Ralph's alluded to this where he misses all the easy chances, and it, it's frustrating sometimes with with the with the goals he doesn't score. But you know, one thing I'd like to point out, and I'll point this out on Twitter, is that I think, I mean, I can think of two, and there I think there's more. He's had goals disallowed that have been incredibly dodgy in the way they've been disallowed. Man United away springs to mind. Villa away in the first minute springs to mind. So I think his goal return could quite easily be around the 13-14 mark. And, and you know, if he'd got, if you sort of offered him that at the start of the season, I'm sure he would have taken it. The recent sort of couple of games have reignited the sort of mystery in my head as to why he was suddenly left out of the team a while ago. Because that, that was mad. It didn't make sense at the time and it doesn't make sense now. Because, you know, him and Danny Ings are our... Our best strike partnership by a mile. No other combination is even close. So, the, you know, the, the two of them working together, it's a, it's a, it's a really positive thing. I, I think he can be, he can be pleased with this season. I mean, all, all you can hope for is that, you know, players improve on what they've done before, and he's undoubtedly had a better season than he had last year. So, uh, yeah, fair play to our. Um, Improper Scotsman or whatever they, uh, <laughs> whatever Martin Tyler called him. But uh, yeah. no, fair, fair play to him, and uh, yeah, long, long may it continue. I think he's he's earned. You know, I don't feel like we need to go out and sign a, you know, sign a first choice striker. Um, as long as Ings is is still around, Adam, Adams is is good enough, and you would think he would get better next year as well. Yeah, agreed. James Ward-Prowse made it seven set piece assists for the season, more than any other player with such assists. Uh, again, not missed a minute of action this season. Goals, energy, leadership. Surely a strong chance of player of the season. Uh, not going to necessarily dwell on him because I think we all know uh, what Prowse has to offer, and there's still a lot to get through. But arguably the biggest highlight of the game, even more so than Theo's first goal back at St Mary's, was 21-year-old Nathan Teller opening his senior your account for the club Steve just 98 seconds after coming on as a sub a, a serious talent I think we all agree uh, on that and uh, you know an excellent finish and a, a proud moment for him yeah he was um, he was very bright it's it's a weird weird phenomenon isn't it that as Dan mentioned he, Ralph has kind of bemoaned the lack of impact from the subs bench for for the mo- for the majority of this season and then all of a sudden this game comes along and both and two substitutions he makes both both score within what about a minute and a half happens when we're safe sods law yeah but it's no he he's been he's been one of the bright sparks even in this sort of rubbish run of 2021 we've had in the evening games where we've been uh, quite poor as a team uh, he's often stood out as someone who's got a bit of energy about him when, quite frankly, we've looked devoid of energy for um, for quite some time. And but it's it's great, great to see finally someone kind of coming through the system and bearing fruit on a consistent basis. We've had little bits and pieces from Obafemi, um, but Obafemi would come in, would come off the bench, do something good for 25 minutes, get a start the following week and then be hauled off at half time because he's been rubbish. Teller's got to the, the thing with Teller is obviously when he gets a start, which 
surely he's got to start on Tuesday night. Then when he get when he gets a start, he's got to make the most of it and and take that opportunity. He kind of did the, did that in the away game at Leeds. He was he was causing all kinds of problems right up until the point that he got booked for diving for that uh, that penalty that was that was overturned. And he kind of he kind of went back into a shell a little bit for a, for a few weeks. But it's good that he's he's kind of back out sort of his bright self again now and hopefully last two games um shackles off he could just go go full on and um kind of show show us what he's what he's got because yeah i mean it's it's always exciting to have a have a promising youngster come come through and and break into the first team and he's now he's providing genuine competition for places even though ralph doesn't seem to kind of share that belief at the moment with his with his first 11 selections but Remember, he got, he, he got picked against Leicester, didn't he? And, and when the red card happened, he got taken off. So he was a bit un, a bit unfortunate there. And then by the, time yeah, the next game, by the time the next game came around, Danny Ings was fit again. So Redmond went back to midfield and then Teller got left out. So, yeah, uh, he, I don't think he's he's far from the manager's thoughts. It's just a case of, um, you know, as Dan said, whether he decides that uh, the uh, the Fulham game was one game too many for, for either Minamino or Redmond. And, um, but, yeah, I, I, think, I think both Teller and Walcott put the hand up to start the next game. Yeah, particularly given particularly given that Walcott had been pretty poor since he's come back from injury. Yeah. Um I think that that was a that was a particularly good sign uh, yesterday. Well, unsurprisingly Nathan was buzzing after the match. Here is an abridged version of his thoughts via southamptonfc.com. Finally. <laughs> I mean, I've had chances throughout the season, chances where I've worked the keeper, not worked the keeper, but today I'm just so happy that Carl played a great pass to me and I was able to get a finish. Something I've been working on, like I said, just finishing and today I'm so happy it was able to go in the goal, but I'm, I'm delighted and I'm just thankful. Once I started getting into the team and starting games, there's always that thought of get a goal, get an assist and the fact I was able to get both today, I mean, I'm, I'm delighted. As it went out to Kyle, I was thinking, because throughout, throughout the season he's been saying he's putting crosses into those areas and no one's been getting on the end of it and I just thought today, why can't I be the one who gets on the end of it? And so happy that he put it in the right area and I was able to get on the end of it. And can't put it into words. I think it's just a overwhelming sense of emotion. Like, I'm just so, so happy. It's a dream for me. I mean, it's something I've, I've wanted to do my whole life. And the fact I was able to do it today is a, a great feeling. Just want to thank my family, my friends, everyone who's got me here, coaches, teachers at school, everyone. I'm, I'm delighted. <laughs> Just finally then, Dan, your piece on uh, Teller in The Athletic this morning started with the words, the smile said it all. Quite simply, it did. What an infectious smile he has. And uh, as we mentioned, what a great moment for him, his family and the club. And I suppose now it's for all of us wanting to see him build on that. Yeah, it's exactly what it's what Ralph said after the game as well. It's it's a moment you can't ever take away from him now. He scored, he scored a Premier League goal and no one's ever going to take that goal away from him. And, you know, he's let go by Arsenal. You know, had a couple of trial spells with Norwich and Reading, then ended up at, you know, trialling for the under-18s at Southampton, got taken on, um, quickly worked his way up to the under-23s, and there was a, a tactical change, and the, they, they no, soon noticed how, how dangerous he can be with with his pace, and then his, you know, his talent just started to shine, and he had that horrific injury. So, yeah, he, he's been through a lot at a young age, and you could just sort of see all of that, everything that had been... You know, in the build-up to that moment that he's had to go through the adversity, that the character he's had to show when it, there's the outpouring of emotion. It was, it was just brilliant. It was, you know, football. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I got emotional watching it, but just watching that FA Cup final, if I can just, that uh, it really brought home just how much 
fans have been absent from stadiums, like you know, hearing even the, the last-minute drama at, at Wembley and you know the Chelsea fans celebrating, VAR getting involved, and the Leicester fans celebrating. It was just you know magical seeing all the celebrations. It was just magical. And St Mary's and and grounds in general have been a fairly dull place without fans. So to see Nathan Teller on Saturday, I thought you know just so happy was not made me fall back in love with football a bit more because you know we all love football but it, it's been difficult through lockdown and I know I'm very privileged to to be in the stadium where you know you'd like 32,000 fans would like to be there but yeah just just seeing that was one of those moments where a I wished I wish fans were here for him so he could share the moment with that but just to see all the teammates how happy they were for him it was a yeah really special moment and like you say hopefully the first of many and yeah, Saints look like they have an exciting young player on their books. This is the Total Saints Podcast. Proudly underpinned by our TSP patrons. Mid last week, in an act of simultaneous beauty, both Ryan Bertrand and Saints announced that the left-back would be leaving the club at the end of his contract this summer. The former England international, who joined Saints on loan in 2014 before signing permanently the following January, has made 240 appearances for the club, scoring eight times and playing under five different managers during his time at St Mary's, not including Kelvin Davis. Suffice to say, compared to some of our signings since that time, Ryan has proven fantastic value for the circa 10 million Saints paid Chelsea for his services. Glenn, as the months and weeks have gone on, it's become probably more and more obvious, I think, to all of us that a new deal wouldn't be sorted out. I know you've been a, a big fan of Ryan, so what do you make of the announcement and how do you assess his time at the club? Well, for any player to last seven years at one club is um, is is quite rare. For the vast majority of that, he's been excellent. For a couple of years, I think you could argue that he was possibly our best player. Um, he was very, very consistent throughout I, I think something changed with him in the in the fallout of he got shafted by Gareth Southgate in, you know in the, for the World Cup squad in 2018 um, since then I kind of sense a little bit of the motivation possibly went out of his game he's not been as good Th- this season has probably been his worst season in a, in a Saints shirt so with being the age he is it, it's probably the right time I'm not I, w- I was hoping he'd stay another year, but I think he's I think he's become victim of a the pandemic and b bizarrely the deal that we go Shane Long in that I, I don't think the club were willing to you know punt another two or three year deal on a I mean Dan probably knows more about this than me but um, a two or three year deal on a player who's sort of like past 30 and and showing signs of maybe not being as good as he was it's always a bit of a worry to me replacing a starter when you're not getting a fee and you know we haven't got much money uh, obviously you know he's probably one of our highest wage earners so that that will help but um you know it's uh, but it was nice to see a sort of classy statement from both him and and, and the club you know after, after after adam lalana we're always looking at the club statement now and and then looking to see um, sort of like how popular a player player is and i know there's been there's been sort of like rumours of uh, discontent around Ryan Bertrand sometimes, but uh, you know, obviously that not enough to um, for everyone to be going. Thank Christ he's gone, sort of thing. Yeah, I, I, I just think he's been he's been a very good player for us. Kind kind of understated. He wasn't one of the stars of the the team that we had in you know 2014 when he signed. Um, you know the the Cumin era and 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 that he was just a very good player within a very good team. I feel like he's been misunderstood slightly because he's not your stereotypical footballer. You know, he's quite laid back. So I think it's it's sometimes easy to 
to pin on him that you know maybe he doesn't care or he wasn't trying or something like that but uh, I think he's been a very good player and uh, I, I hope we don't miss him too much if we do miss him it's because whoever we sign to replace him is uh, is is not up to it but time waits for no one and we you know things change and uh, yeah I think it's just it's just a bit difficult sometimes when someone's been there so long so uh, yeah good luck to the guy and uh, I hope he goes somewhere where he he doesn't play against us because I think, it, you know, everyone's seen he's got a bit of a, a, mischief, a mischievous nature about him. And uh, it would be typical if he played for someone else in the Premier League and scored against us. That would be uh, that would be absolutely typical. But uh, no, good luck to him. Good luck to the guy. Steve, just briefly, how uh, hard do you think it will be to replace his ability, let alone his experience? Uh, very difficult. Um, if you look at, looking at the, the the likely budget that we're going to have, I think Ralph's been quoted as saying we're in we're in the market for players around around sort of 10 million or so i mean obviously that's what we paid for bertrand at the time but he was kind of one of those chelsea players that was perennially being sent out on loan to various different um teams who at the time were all worse than us and there was a little bit of a question mark when when we did sign it was like well what are we doing here he he was crap at villa last season didn't do an awful lot for norwich he was at before Yeah, he was at norwich yeah yeah so yeah there was a little bit a little bit of hesitancy which i guess is why we got him on loan first but i mean he he kind of proved proved everybody wrong on that front but yeah when you you're going to struggle with these days for 10 million pound i don't think you're going to get a ready-made replacement who's anywhere near his level um at his best i mean there's i mean i take certainly take len's point that this season he's perhaps not quite been at, at that level but he's still well i mean he's still our best left back by kind of by default because he's our only left back <laughs> um but but ultimately we 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 sold matt target and we were happy to take the the money that villa were offering because a it was a lot more than we we valued target at and also because we thought well bertrand never gets injured he's a consummate pro and his standard is so incredibly high that we don't see Matt Target eclipsing that anytime soon. And while Target's been very good for Villa um, this season, I still don't think he's at Bertrand's level. So, yeah, find, finding a ready-made replacement is, I mean, to be honest, it's going to be nigh on impossible. You're, you're basically buying somebody who might grow into the role eventually. Ideally, you want someone who's got a lot of years ahead of, ahead of them, but also has maybe a year or two experience, possibly in the championship. Yeah, or at Man United. Uh, yeah, I mean, possibly. I mean, Williams is the obvious, the obvious example, isn't he? But I, I, weirdly, I don't see United selling him. I only see a loan um, in his future, which obviously complicates things because then you've, you've then, you've all, already got to basically rewrite your, your system for two games a season because the lad can't play in those. And that's that's always the problem with the loan system, that because because they can't play against the parent clubs, you're, yeah, you've, you've then got a um, selection problem uh, for those games anyway. So it's it's difficult. I think, I, I suspect we'll go for a loan and possibly two. Because, I, I mean, by the sounds of it, Williams is, is still very much on our radar. But I'd like to think we'll be looking at someone with a little bit more experience than him as well, to be honest. We'll, we'll probably go to the Man United to get Brandon Williams on loan and end up with 
with a rubbish winger like Dan James or something <laughs> they, they would like never that. do that Glenn they no, would never no, do that but so uh, there absolutely. we go and Dan just to finish as is often the case in situations like this fans always analyse the wording of statements don't they particularly when they come from the, the players themselves quite a few noticed that uh, while not mentioning Ralph in his statement Ryan did say quote find a new home that allows me the freedom to play and maximise my contribution to the team so alongside other fans drawing their own conclusions on that Pete one of our patrons sent in the following question for you he said uh, question for Dan in the next pod in his statement Ryan Bertrand says the club are in good hands with Martin Semmers and Matt Crocker there was no mention of Ralph combine this with Ryan saying he wants to find a new home that allows me the freedom to play and maximise my contribution to the team as I just said does Dan think there was any sort of falling out with Ralph or am I reading too much into this so Dan putting you totally on the spot there what do you know (laughs) (laughs) I think I I don't think it's just supporters that that pour over you know every word Dan Sheldon did as well then I certainly did that, and you know, Ralph not being mentioned was one of the was probably the the first thing I, I noticed after reading it. And you know, my my phone lit up a little bit with people. Oh, he's left. He's he's not mentioned Ralph. He's not mentioned Ralph. You know, Ralph won't be happy about that, and and things like that. So I I made a phone call to, to someone I know and who knows Bertrand very well, and you know, gauge, gauged what the the kind of the reasoning on that was, and. The, the way it was put to me was that if your name's Ralph, you have to name Mark Hughes, Claude Puel, Pellegrino, <laughs> Koeman, Kelvin Davis, um, Kelvin Davis, <laughs> and you know if and again and to be fair, he didn't mention any players either. He didn't mention and you know he's close to a lot of those players in that dressing room. Very good friends with Nathan Redmond. There was no mention of him. And I think the interesting part, I, I, I guess, with like the, the with Martin and Matt being mentioned and maybe not Ralph is at the end of that statement again like I wouldn't I don't want to say I'm a saddo for reading it you know over every single word because Pete obviously did the same but there was a the line at the end wasn't there about he hopes to one day return so essentially you look at Martin you look at Matt if you're going to return to the club in some kind of capacity behind the scenes and Ryan spoke to me before about the business side of football you want to keep those two guys sweet you know Martin runs the football club and Matt's in in charge of the football operation so yeah it it was a a classy statement, I think. It, it, I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? I think that Ralph make make what you want of what Ralph said about Ryan in in the press conference. I think he kind of skirted over it, the fact that he's leaving. You know, he said he'd been a good player for the club, but time, as Glenn said, time waits for nobody, and we move on. So, yeah, yes, we're looking into it too much then. Uh, yeah, well, no, I, I mean, I, it, look, it's difficult. It's difficult. I don't think so. I think if Ryan was ultimately happy he would have signed the contract and look, I think it, as, as Glenn said, I think it's or Steve may have said, sorry if, if I'm wrong, but the, it just came to the time, the natural time. I think this is the best time for all parties to move on in terms of the, the maximizing the play and the, and the freedom to, to contribute. Um, I think again, when I, when I was looking at that and because Ralph is doing this three at the back in possession and Kyle has been the one that's had the license to go forward. That was kind of my thinking on that. Maybe. I mean, I don't know if I'm reading too much into that, that Bertrand obviously sees himself as an attacking threat. And if he's the, the, the fullback that had to come in and be the third centre-back, he may look at that and think, well, I'm limiting what I'm actually capable of. But then on the flip side, you've got Kyle Walker-Peters, who's younger, quicker, fitter, doing a brilliant job. So it was always going to be difficult, I think, for Bertrand to probably win that battle. That was my take on the maximising the, the the ability or, or whatever it was. Um but I'm sure everyone has their own, makes their own mind up on that as well. 
good stuff. Right. Well, I'm sure Glenn, Steve, and Dan join me in thanking Ryan for his seven years of service and wish him all the best, more than likely somewhere else in the Premier League. You're listening to the Total Saints podcast, going to the heart of all things Saints FC. Okay, on to the final part of this week's pod, a look ahead to the season finale against West Ham United, and before that, Leeds United and the last home match for Saints of 2020-21. Dan, a tricky final St Mary's fixture for Ralph and the team. Credit to Leeds, they've had a superb first season back in the Premier League, looking set to finish around 10th, 11th, but could still finish as high as 7th or 8th, I think, if fixtures go their way. They've been really good, really good to watch, and I think we saw some of the heavy defeats that they had at the start of the season, and you thought, blimey... is be able to kind of learn um but just what what an absolute team I, I saw some charts the other day of basically like you know distance covered most sprints but and they were just miles ahead of every other team and when teams are even now like teams are on on their asses basically because they're knackered and they're not they just keep on going like all this murder ball he gets them doing it's just utterly utterly bonkers how fit Leeds are as a team and you know, all credit for that has to go to Bielsa he's you know they all buy into him it's they, they've been a joy to watch actually a, a really really good team they they complement the Premier League massively and yeah as you say it's going to be a tricky tricky game for, for Southampton um, but to be fair if I was a fan in in the ground it's one that I'd be looking forward to not because it'd be my first game in a while but because you know you're going to get an entertaining game Neither team is going to necessarily sit and put all their players behind the ball. And it's just going to be, you hope, end-to-end. But if it's end-to-end, I I must admit, I do fancy Leeds to, to last a distance, maybe more than Southampton. Yeah, well, we'll come on to predictions in a little while. Um, just briefly, Glenn, can you see them pushing on next year? Or do you think they'll get found out a little more? Maybe the old uh, second season syndrome? Uh, a bit of both. I think, you know, everyone will know exactly what they're going to get next year um they probably caught a few teams by surprise i'd like to say i told you so about bielsa because i was the only one defending him last time when we played him <laughs> um so there you go I, I think they've been brilliant you know i, I don't think care that they got they got thumped a few times yeah they were a bit naive at the start of the season but they, they they've been excellent they've got some they've got some great players um as steve said last time i think i'll bring up something steve said about you know he's made patrick bamford look like a a, a proper Premier League striker, one that's got an outside chance of, of playing for England. And he's had a brilliant season. Um, players like Rafinha, who they signed for next to no money, you know, they, they've got, they've, they've just been excellent all season. And I'm, I'm surprised, to be honest, that they're only sort of 10th, 11th, because to me, they look, they look a much better team than the likes of, I don't know, Spurs or someone like that. And it'll be, it'll be a really tough game. They're, they're a massive club. And they, as Dan said, they are absolutely a, a, a superb part of the Premier League, and uh, I'm sure they will be for quite a long time to come. I mean, it'd be interesting, you know, come the day Bielsa eventually goes, you know, what they do after that. But um, no, they've, they've been brilliant so far, had a great season, and uh, fair play to them. Mm. And Steve, from a Saints point of view, obviously we've had a really, really good week. There's some pos- uh, positive momentum, isn't there? But this will be a, a sort of good test of how far we've come over the last couple of weeks. You think about the impact of the, the players that we've spoken about, um, the workmanship and things like that. I mean, it's, they're going to be put under uh, the microscope here by Leeds. So it'll be a good chance to sort of assess where we are maybe heading into next season off the back of a good week. Yeah, definitely. Um, and also a, um, a good way to kind of hammer the depression into the into the fans that, that return for the game on, on Tuesday night as well. <laughs> Back to um, happy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, lovely. Have a, have a look at what you could have won. But yeah, it, it's... 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a it's a good challenge. Um, I mean, watching them against Burnley at the weekend. I mean, Burn, Burnley are always a side that are described as strong defensively and um, and well organised. And Leeds made them look absolute ragtag. They were all over the place in that second half. And I mean, four nil could easily have been six or seven. Don't, um, don't Burnley always do this though when they get safe? Don't they always have a couple of games where they just, just hot and cold all throughout the season, aren't they? They just, they just go on yeah. runs of like yeah. seven unbeaten, seven defeats in a row, seven unbeaten, that sort of thing. Burnley have, Burnley have failed to win nine in a row at home. Yeah, which is a club record, actually, because they said that at the start, yeah, didn't they? Which, yeah. which, which, is, which is a surprise. Mm. Um, but, I mean, Leeds, Leeds have actually been a lot... Uh, much like Burnley, actually, have been a lot better away from home this season. I think they're unbeaten in seven or eight on the road. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think kind of everything's stacking up against us a little bit in 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 that sense. Um, they're they're particularly strong in the second half, which, as we all know, we're most definitely not. And but at the same time, they've also um, scored and conceded 50 goals. Yeah, yeah. And Saints have got nothing to lose, really, either, have they? I mean, they, as Dan said earlier, they can kind of go out and have a... You know, you don't want to lose 4 or 5 nil, do you? But at least you can go and give it a go. Yeah, but it's it's a case of how you do that without risking the 4 or 5 nil, um home defeat against the newly promoted team. That's the uh, that's kind of the perception, isn't it? Even though Leeds have obviously held their own and we're right at the very end of of that season, they're not... a uh, they're not an inexperienced team at this level anymore. That is still the perception. And if we were to get done heavily, then all of a sudden, you, while the last week or so has kind of raised a little bit of optimism in that we've beaten teams that really we should be beating, if we get if we from the on the wrong end of a of a hammering in in this one, then all of a sudden that um, that bubble is punctured very very quickly. Um, so you've got to be a little bit careful, but at the same time. There are there are definitely weaknesses in that team, particularly defensively. And as I say, I mean they've they've shipped 50 goals. I mean they've scored 50 as well, which which is why they're they're up where they are. But yeah, I mean you you you're not gonna you're not gonna be challenging properly at the at the top end of any league when you're conceding uh, nearly two goals a game. Well, one and a half goals a game, sorry. And I mean that's that's why that's why we've we've slumped because our defence has been abject this this second half of the season and. Ultimately, if their if their defence remains fairly porous, then there's chances there. I mean, it's it's one of those end of season games that could be like that. Do you remember that Newcastle one when they were pushing for the Champions League and Alan Blaney was in goal for us? Yeah, was that three all? And we had, yeah, we had a ridiculous three all draw that could easily have been eight all. It was it was mad. I mean, it could it could easily be one of those sort of games. Uh, particularly when you're going to have a, you might have a little bit of a sort of celebratory feel in the ground with 8,000 fans back in, many of them for the first time in what 18 months. So yeah, I mean we'll we'll see, but I think I would assume Leeds will Leeds will probably start as favourites for this one. Yeah, you got me thinking about that Alan Blaney wonder save from Alan Shearer now, but uh, there we go. Um, finally, Glenn, it's been a heck of a, a while, but fans will be returning to St Mary's as Steve just mentioned for this game, around 8,000 or so. Um, Dan and I were catching up during the week, and I was saying that it's uh, the first season since I started watching Saints in 1987 where I won't have seen a, a ball kicked in anger, uh, certainly in the flesh. And uh, although my dad and, and brother are both going on Tuesday, so at least there's some stamp reputation but like Steve I know you've got a ticket Glenn so how excited yes. are you not uh, that we know you get too excited about anything in life but uh, <laughs> you know it'll be good to obviously get back there and uh, you know watch the team and cheer the team on and uh, probably a little bit of uh, frustration and things like that as well it'll be good to be back won't it absolutely yeah I'm really I'm really looking forward to it um, 
I'd like to think that I'm not actually going to care too much about the result. I mean, I will, obviously, if we get beat. But, uh, you know, the way I'm looking at it at the moment, I'm just looking forward to, you know, to to go into a game. I'm actually glad there's nothing on it, really. Um, I'm actually glad that we don't need any points to stay up. I, I can go and just just uh, just enjoy the game. Um, what I did what I did start complaining about straight away was that I saw it was a 6 p.m. kickoff, which is a pain in the ass when you're actually having to go to a game. It's all right if it's just on the telly, but um, actually getting down there for six o'clock is going to be a bit of a pain. But uh, yeah, um, and I know we've just done the TV deal, which means that stupid kickoff times are here to stay. 6, 6 p.m. aside, yeah, I'm really really looking forward to it. Uh, my son's looking forward to it as well. So it should be a it should be a good occasion, and uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how um, positive or negative the the fans are. I mean, I mean, Steve can Steve, what was it like with the with the two thousand in the ground? Those games you went to was was there sort of much negativity around, or was it? Uh, was not it- not a huge amount, no. I mean, the I only I only did the city game. I was on the alter, alternating um, home games list, yeah. but yeah, it was, it was very positive. I mean, it does it did help that to be fair, in the first half we we played really well. Um, so what you were seeing in front of you was giving you encouragement and it was then feeding off sort of vice versa. I mean, if we'd, if we'd gone in, gone into that game and just got absolutely torn to pieces as, I mean, as City have done to a lot of teams this, uh, this season since that game, because that was obviously the first game of their run of, um, five million, five million wins in a row. <laughs> I think it, I think the atmosphere might have been a little bit different. I mean, two, only 2,000 in there and all in one, all along the side in the Kingsland as well. So you've got no, there's no, there's no target, if you like. Whereas I always think if you've got a group of fans behind the goal who are quite vocal, as we've obviously we've got with the Northern and the away section is, is in a basically identical position. You've got a target there to aim at as players, which is why teams tend to kick towards their most, I mean, we're weird in this, in this sense, in that most teams kick towards their most vocal fans in the second half. And we do it in the first and let the opposition have that benefit in the second, which yeah. I've always found absolutely mental. <laughs> but when, when you've got that target, it, it gives, it gives the player something to, to, to aim for in a way. Whereas with an empty ground, you don't have that. It's it's basically training ground football. It's interesting because the, the fans this time are going to be all round all all four sides of the ground, aren't they? But uh, I'm um, I'm in the Kingsland, which is going to be interesting because usually I'm in the family bit. So the family bit keeps a lid on my swearing most of it because there's lots of kids around. But with just eight thousand in the ground, it's going to be pretty obvious it's me. Yeah, so um, no. Sky Sports that, are going to be apologising on behalf of Glenda Lacour, aren't they? But, uh, very self-conscious. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right, let's do some uh, predictions then, and then we can have a, a chat about West Ham just to finish. Um, Dan, Leeds against Saints, what are you going for? 3 all. 3 all. great, all right. I'm going to jump in there. I wrote down here, it could be anything. I've gone for Saints 2, Leeds 3. Uh, Glenn, what do you reckon? 2 all. 2 all. Steve? I was going to go for 3 all as well, so that's annoying. We're all expecting goals. Well, yeah, have, have, <laughs> yeah have, having, having said we're all expecting goals, it's going to go and do the opposite now, isn't it? So um, I think... Uh, let's go 1-0 Saints. 1-0 Saints. All right, excellent. And uh, just to finish on West Ham then, Dan, um, I have to say they surprised me this season. I, I didn't think David Moyes still had it in him, to be honest. And, uh, you know, while they have dropped off the, the pace a little bit over the last three or four weeks, as you mentioned earlier on, a, a great effort by them overall in 2020-21. Yeah, they've been um, a really good, really good team to watch. I think that it, I was talking to someone actually that, that covers West Ham at the weekend and, we were both saying they've had a great season this year, but equally you could see them finishing like 14th, 
15th next season they're that kind of that they're that kind of club they they hit some good form and, and they stayed on that good form and for and for a while it looked as though they were gonna actually end up in the, in the Champions League places but I think the job David Moyes has done is is really impressive I think um, Lingard coming in in January I think kind of put some energy into the team as well at the time when they maybe were, were going to tail off he came in injected some life and hit the ground running he was he was the only player that wasn't knackered in January wasn't yeah. he? he not not <laughs> exactly. played for six months exactly and it, and it showed in in the results they had when he came back in the team but I'm happy. I mean, I don't know David Moyes, but I'm happy for him. He's obviously, you know, he's had a, a, a tough time after what went on at United. So for him to show that he's still a still a very good manager, a very good Premier League manager is really good. And yeah, the, the fact they were in the race for, for as long as they were, you know, is probably the biggest compliment you, you can give them. The wages that these players, that the teams play their players above them, you know, they're going to finish that way anyway, minus Leicester, who are obviously the outlier. But yeah, I think very good season for West Ham. Really, really impressive. Yeah. And Glenn, the London Stadium hasn't been overly helpful to us over the past few years. Of course, we won the uh, first game there in September 2016 under Claude Puel by three goals to nil. But since then, it reads 3-0 Hammers, 3-0 Hammers, and last season, 3-1 Hammers. you fearing the worst again, or do you think uh, Saints can go up there with a bit of renewed confidence and maybe uh, catch a cold West Ham at the end of the season? Maybe, but we're always awful there, aren't we? I mean, apart from that one game you said, we, we always go out there and it's dreadful. Yeah. And it's it's the kind of 3-0, but it could be 5-0 quite easily. <laughs> yeah. They always outmuscle us. They're just this big, horrible team. Mm. At least they haven't got Sebastian outmuscle. Haller anymore, so that's good. No. Yeah. Or, or you know, an we'll, 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 we'll let Mark us. Noble run the game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we let Mark Noble run the game. 75 now. <laughs> Michael Antonio turns into prime Didier Drogba for an <laughs> afternoon, doesn't he, against us. they got, yeah. you know, Suchek's the sort of player we don't like as well. The, you know, the centre-halves are big and horrible. and we just, we just struggle against them. As Dan said, Lingard's been very good. I like Ben Rama. I know he's a he's a bit been a bit hit and miss with his end product, but he's good. I like Bowen as well. He's a threat. Um, you know, they're, they're both good signings that they've made from the championship. I know they paid quite a lot of money for him, but um, that's something for us to look at. I think remarkably good season under Moyes. But as uh, Dan said as well, it's a, it's a very fragile thing they've got going on there with the with the ownership. And uh, the trouble they're going to have next season is because of the overachievement of this season. If they sort of like drop back at all the fans are going to be straight onto the owners and it, it's all going to kick off again. Well, they're, they're uh, one of the teams that have probably most benefited from having no fans there. Yeah, yeah, you're, yeah, right. you're, yeah right. you're right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So no, any, nobody nobody to whinge at them constantly. Any any sort of step back into the pack will be uh, kind of magnified, I think. But uh, no, uh, long answer to a short question, not expecting a great deal from, uh, from that game. Uh, fair enough. All right. And just finally then, Steve, if results go Saints way over the next seven days against Leeds and West Ham, we could still finish as high as 12th. We're 14th at time of recording. So I suppose, you know, and, and certainly in terms of the transfer coffers anyway, there's still motivation. And, and Ralph's obviously spoken a lot about trying to have a, a good end to the season. So you, you want them to try and have a, a positive week and get as high as they can. Yeah, definitely. Those those places are worth what somewhere between two and a half to three and a half million quid, depending on how much of that rebate is still to come back from the from Project Restart. And that's a, that's a lot of money that can like if we were to finish where we are now, 14th after Palace got that win today, get those two extra 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 places. That's seven million quid. That's what 100, 140 grand a week in wages. So that's probably two two top first teamers for us maybe and you might go for three reasonable first teamers for us to cover that 
cover that money. So, and that's before you start thinking about actually paying paying a fee for a player. So, I mean, that that money kind of doesn't really go an awful lot, awful long way, but it's still considerable. It's still the difference between possibly signing a player and possibly not. And I mean, we we're all very well aware that we do need to sign players and giving ourselves the best opportunity to to do so, not only with the money, but also here. Look, we we fin- we finished the season winning the last four games. We've demonstrated we're actually not completely hopeless. Come and come and come and sign for us, and and maybe we might might be in the top half next season and we'll be a stepping stone um for for somebody i mean it's i mean pe- people get annoyed when when players move on but ultimately if players are moving on to better teams that's because they've done well for us and there it's been too long since we've had um sort of wholesale rumors of first team players being linked with bigger clubs because ultimately because we've been rubbish for year for the last few years so i mean obviously Danny Ings has been linked uh, with with some moves I and mean, how how realistic those are not quite not really too sure but other than that there's not doesn't seem to be anybody who's um, making an obvious case to uh, to move up in the league at the moment so well, there's, the a we, there's a difference the between players moving different sorry difference between players moving on in the last year of their contract like someone like Hoybier did than someone attracting the attention of the big clubs like Sadio Mane did. And then paying a big fee to take them. Oh, Van Dyke, obviously. Yeah. Big fees were paid for those other than, because I think, you know, if anyone tries to sign Danny Ings this summer, it's, a, it's an opportunist thing because they know they can get him for 20, 25 million or whatever, rather than, you know, what the, what the market value Premium would be if, yeah. if he had two or three years left. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And there's, there's obviously no, no chance that anybody would have been paying 25, 30 million for Hoiberg um, if he'd had two or three years left. Correct. Because it's like, well, where's the evidence that he's worth that money? I mean, he's, he's, he's done well for Spurs this season, a lot better than I think a lot of people were expecting, but he's, he was one of those players who's kind of perfect Mourinho shithouse, isn't he? <laughs> Indeed, um, yeah. And yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of worked worked for him. He's, well, him, Kane and Son were basically Mourinho's, Mourinho's top boys and the rest kind of basically let him down, didn't they, mm. from his perspective. Indeed. Well, ahead of the last couple of matches, the uh, TSP Prediction League uh, has, uh, has been wrapped up now, Glenn, with your uh, couple of points for your two wins this week. So, Glenn's on oh, 27. I... Uh, obviously, I got prediction right at 3-1 against Fulham, which was good. So, that's moved me on to 20. Dan's on 16. Steve's on 11. So, it's certainly all to play for in second, Dan. Um, but, yes, uh, congratulations, Glenn. There's no prize or anything because I know you wouldn't want it anyway after all that grief you gave me at TSP 100. But, uh, well done. <laughs> <laughs> a job well done well but, money's uh, always money's always good <laughs> <laughs> you won't be getting any of that excellent but what oh. you can do Glenn as a, as my prize to you is you can go first in the Saints versus West Ham prediction 2-0 to West Ham 2-0 to West Ham <laughs> brilliant alright uh, Dan 2-0 Saints 2-0 Saints alright I didn't think you were going to go for that uh, Steve why why <laughs> well because there's not a pod afterwards so no one's going to say it was an awful prediction are well, there they? is a pod afterwards we got one more oh, to do oh, yeah, two maybe 2-1 two Saints then 2-1 <laughs> two, two Saints alright Steve 3-1 uh, West Ham 3-1 West Ham Antonio right. Hattrick yeah fine 3-1 uh, as well is what I've gone there for and bear in mind you can't catch me I'm going to stick with that Hi guys, I'm Danny Ings and you're listening to the Total Saints Podcast. 
That's it for another TSP. Hope you've enjoyed it, and uh, assuming you're still here at this point, thanks for listening to us. Back-to-back wins means this is one of the easier pods we've had to record. A few youthful genes returning, no doubt. We'll be back on Wednesday, the 26th of May, AM UK time, with our final pod of the season. That'll include Dan, Steve, and Glenn's thoughts on the season, a chat about the final match. We'll announce the TSP patrons' goal of the season and player of the season winner, the two awards they all want, and obviously now we're going to check on Dan's prediction for the West Ham game. We'll also cover anything else of relative interest that happens between now and then for now though enjoy tuesday night if you're going follow all the rules and protocols of course and speak to you in 10 days or so keep marching in days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com and there it is that's as good as it gets on this stage nissan townstar ev strikes again it's an unstoppable van unstoppable just fantastic you can actually see the pro pilot technology in action effortless parallel parking it moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty and with a bench full of all-star van experts there's real strength in depth here that's all-star quality search nissan townstar ev and visit your local all-star van center to see for yourself Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.